Welcome to GEMS for Genesis Amaris Camp. Today with me, I have Armand Kroom. He is a Black man that is a firecracker, mission-driven, and he is all about making boss moves. Welcome, Armand. Thank what's, you so much. What's going on? Boss moves. I love it. That's right. So, you know, uh, you know making those moves, uh, I started off uh, you know, graduated from Tulane in New Orleans, you know, I'm from the South, um, joined the military, right out of the military. So I'm a, I was a Naval officer, which supply corps school, went to nuke school, um, you know, had a nice little engineering background behind me. Uh, then got into the military, hated it so much. It was really my first sample of what a real job, real, real career was. Uh, and then started uh, working at a company called First Command as a financial advisor in 2012, uh, went off on my own. And in 2017, we started Croom Financial, which is I'm the CEO of a financial planning firm. And then in 2019, we started a blog called The Financial Effect, where we help people budget without a budget. And we're also talking about fathers and husbands and knowing their role in the household and protecting the money for the family. So that is what I am all about. That's what we've been moving towards. And we've been doing this for like, oh geez, since 2004. So you do the math. <laughs> wow. And now that you know a little bit about Armand, listeners and viewers, today's topic is knowing your worth as a black man or black woman. And the reason why this topic is so prevalent right now is because once you get to hear more about Armand's story and his background, then you'll understand on why this topic needed to be addressed. Because not only has it happened to him, but it has happened to me and other minorities across the span. And it is not a good feeling whenever you know you are worth more, but somebody tries to demean you based on your appearance and how you look. And it really can cause you to feel a certain way or want to react a certain way, but then you have to check those emotions at the door because you're working for somebody and you need that money <laughs> to make sure your family is taken care of until you can branch out on your own. Yes, absolutely. So where should we begin in the Navy and the stories I have to tell? Well, since you were in the Navy, you know, one, thank you for your service, even though you hate it, being a part of the Navy. And what is it that y'all say, hoorah or something? Oh, man, I, I, I think it's hoorah. You know, yeah. I, I used to be like, yeah, you know, so yeah, I was only in there four years, four months and 11 days. Uh, and so my experience from college into the Navy just was not a great experience. Hindsight 2020. Uh, so the people who are in the military who are listening to this, hindsight 2020, I would do it all over again from, you know, because of what I learned and, you know, I, I gained so much from being in the military. However, it wasn't for me. Wow. And talk about precision. He knew the exact years, month, days, and et cetera. It was like, he was counting down y'all. It, it, it was it was an experience and it was one of those things where, uh, you know, I came to the conclusion one day that I wasn't a perfect fit. It's kind of like someone who's been married like four times and then they're sitting there like talking about how bad this wife was and bad the second wife was and how bad the third wife. And there's only one common denominator, you. 
And so, you know, I was going through different duty stations and I kept getting in trouble and I kept having issues and I was the only common denominator. So it was, it was time for me to go. <laughs> it was time for me to go. <laughs> so let's unpack that. So now that you recognize, looking back, that you were the common denominator that caused you to keep getting in trouble at different duty stations, it was because the Navy was not tied to who you were as an individual and not your purpose. So when you were in the Navy, what are some of the struggles that you face as a man? And then the second part, as a Black man, and then the third part, with you just already having the feelings that you had by not really liking the military, you were doing it maybe because of necessity. Just walk us through that. So my first experience with the Navy was ROTC at Tulane. And of course, I'm the only black person. It was actually me and the other black guy. And, you know, as always, you stand out like a sore thumb. Um, you know, uh, the gunny sergeant was the other black guy. And it was three of us total. And he basically called me out every chance he could. I mean, the pressure was on. Um, but there's no hiding. There's no tucking in the back. There's no nothing. You're, you're front and center no matter what happens. And everything you do is put under a microscope uh, that nobody seems to understand except for you because you're the darkest person there. And yes, it is like, you know, you sneeze or if you talk loud, or if you say this, like it's almost like somebody's over there taking notes on what you do. Um, and it, it is nerve wracking. So, uh, you know, everything that I did, every mistake I made, people take, took notice, even if it was just uh, an honest mistake. And I, I, you know, there was one time where they put me up on charges for some of the silliest stuff. Uh, and because you know, I hate to say it, it's the infamiliarity with being Black when people are dealing with you, that they come at you a little bit differently than, say, some other people. And it's really hard to describe. You never really want to play the race card, but you feel it. You feel the difference in between. And like I would tell you during ROTC, I literally changed my personality. My personality is laughing, joking, smiling. And then I had to turn into this mean, don't talk to anyone. Cause I am either A or B, there's no in between. So either I'm talking to you and we're good and I'm smiling and joking, or I am not talking to you. I'm not dealing with you. I'm not doing anything to get in trouble. And I had to turn into this dude in ROTC where I basically did not deal with anyone else, didn't talk to anyone because I didn't want to lose my scholarship to college and I had to get my money. And so what, well, you know, either be your friend or not. And so that was one of my experiences. Wow. Then, oh, go ahead. I was going to chime in and say, I can relate to that, but coming from corporate America as a black woman, and I think a lot of people could relate to what you were saying, because sometimes when we get into these fields or organizations, sometimes we have to denounce who we are to fit into the mold that they're trying to convey when in actuality, that mold is not who we are. It's not tied to our morals, our values. It causes us to feel some type of way, but then we're ca caught in a rock and a hard place where we're like, we have to do these certain things because we have obligations that we try that we are trying to fulfill. So it's like you're turning a light switch on, but then whenever you leave that place, 
It's like you're back to your normal self. And it's exhausting to be one way at work or one way in the Navy and then a different way with your family members and friends. And then you get to a point where just enough is enough and you're just sick of the nonsense and you're like, this is not who I am and this is not where I'm supposed to be. If these people cannot see my self-worth, if they cannot value me for what I bring to the table, if they cannot see me past my outward appearance, then you know what? It's time for the buck to stop here. Yeah, I, I say we are uh, some of the most, if you are successful in corporate America, we are some of the most dynamic people out there. We have to be we have to be able to walk into almost any crowd in any situation and be and try to make people feel comfortable with us. And it is exhausting. It really is. It, you know, it, 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 I would just love every once in a while just to be able to walk in a room and just be me, but that's not very often. I, I, I'll even give you an example. One time we were in the Navy and uh, we were, it was like a party on a ship. We we're on deployment or something along those lines. And we had a photographer. Yeah, I think USO. USO came to visit us. We had Alyssa Milano, Brittany Murphy, Sean Marion. We were having ourselves a good day. And I think uh, me and my boy took a picture for the photographer. And we threw up our fraternity signs. And I'm an alpha, right? And he, I'm not going to, you know, he's a kappa. So he threw up his sign. And we went about our day. <laughs> Next thing you know, somebody's calling my boy asking us, why are we throwing up gang signs? Now, I forget what school he went to. I went to Tulane. We're both naval officers. What, what about us as gang members? Hey, you gang banging. <laughs> but we had to explain to our superior officers what a fraternity was what these signs are, what it's about, because they know nothing about us at all. And again, you know, that was just like another notch, even though, you know, they were like, oh, we understand that this, that, and the other. There was another notch of, we're not for you. Yeah, I don't know. You're doing these crazy sign things or whatever. Wow. And it just goes to show that they didn't even take the chance to understand the reasoning behind what you were doing because a fraternity is a brotherhood, just like a sorority is a sisterhood. And if you know who your naval officers are and you take the time to learn a little bit more about their background beyond their outward appearance, you will gain some substance that was beyond the surface level and really get to know that individual but for who they are. But a lot lot of times people are not willing to put in the extra work and that shows that you know for a lack of better terms they don't give you know a bullhorn about who you are they to them you're just another number in the organization you're a placeholder and you're there to do a job and as long as you're doing your job effectively and making them look good then it's okay but then at the end what about you your sanity, your peace of mind, your mental health, because some of these issues that we face as Black men and Black women in the workforce or whatever uh, organization we're in can affect our mental health when we are being emotionally drained. When we're emotionally drained, we become physically drained. When we're physically drained, we become, you know, to a point where we're tapped out and we reach that period of burnt out. So you find yourself rolling up in the parking garage, rolling your eyes. You find yourself having to turn down your music because you don't want people looking at you side eye, even though your music is a way for you to express yourself 
and you to kind of pump yourself up because you got to amp yourself up before you even get inside the building. You find yourself trying to, you know, say a prayer for those of you who are religious. Lord Jesus, let me have peace today. Let me watch my tongue, Lord, today. Lord Jesus, don't let me slip back into BC before Christ. Lord Jesus, help me be sane because I know these people are going to try me today. And all this, that, and the third. And it is so exhausting. Like you have to be on top of your game. Like you have to dot all your I's and cross all your T's when in actuality, our counterparts over here, they could throw up the Longhorn signs. They could throw up the Aggie sign. They could say, whoop, giggle. They could do all these things and they don't get any ramifications. They don't get any marks next to their name. Everything is like, oh, kumbaya, kumbaya. Like oh, all of that. It. They're familiar with it. Yes, but what about the inclusivity? And you guys want to talk about diversity. You want to talk about equity. You want to talk about equality and inclusivity. But what happens when that is not across the board to the minorities, whether they are Black men and women, whether they're Middle Eastern, whether they're Asian, whether they're Latinos, Latinas, Hispanics, whatever. If you aren't taking your DE&I across the board, then you are definitely missing some nuggets. Yes. And sometimes a lot of the situations, all they deserve was a conversation, just a conversation. Hey, what were you thinking? You know, I can, I can give you even more stories of just them like coming down on me. And you know, you're looking at your counterparts and you're like, these guys are not better than me. And so this is where, you know, you're trying to like figure out your worth and you're trying not to throw up the race card. And, you're, you know, because, you know, it, it isn't always that. I don't think it is. Uh, but, it, uh, you know, it, well, intentionally or unintentionally, maybe, should, should I say, right? Because we all have biases. Everyone has bias, inherent bias. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a work that we have to do to try to, to be better and do better and be better towards them because, you know, we shouldn't be biased on the other side, too. We shouldn't say all either. But at the same time, when you are the only one and you're trying to figure out you know, you're, you're in this situation and you know you are not at least worse than the guy next to you or you just as good, you know, you have to try to figure out your path and you have to come up with your strategy of how you're going to get ahead. You can't, we, I, you know, especially, you know, with a wife and a kid, I didn't have the luxury, actually at the time I just had a wife, but I didn't have the luxury of just giving up. I don't think anyone really has the luxury of just giving up. And so for me personally, uh, I did not want to try my hand at the corporate world because it sounds like to me that the corporate world is not much different. And that's what I thought. I was like, the corporate world probably isn't that much different than the military world. And I really did not want to have to like beg people for a pay raise or try to prove, please, please give me that five cent. Give me that, give me that five cent. <laughs> I, I just didn't want to do it. I didn't. And I didn't want to have to work 16 hours a day just prove that I'm better than the dude who works eight hours a day because of your biases or your opinion or your thoughts because I have to get through this preconceived notion that you have of me when I walk into the room and I have to like beat that plus I didn't want to do that so that's why I left the military after four years four months and 11 days because I just I did not want to do it and I started my own business and like you know now I, I deal with people. You decide whether or not you hire me or not. Some people say yes. Some people say no. You get to the yeses and you keep moving on. And it's great. And so I, I invested in myself. 
I personally just was like, I'd rather be broke than go work for anyone again. I, I just, I, 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 I'll, I'll take being broke any, any day of the week. And, but I just had a clear path forward and I worked the plan and here I am today. And let's unpack that because you said, I would rather be broke than work for somebody else. And so if we look at the RCA, your root cause analysis, when you left the military to where you are now, you obviously had, you know, some hard discussions with yourself and probably your wife because y'all are are a partnership doing life together. And you and the conversation probably went like, hey, I'm not gonna go work for nobody else. I'm going to take a risk on myself and start my own business and unpack that. Was <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting all choked up here. What was the, uh, was there any resistance there? And what obstacles did you face whenever you started to go into business for yourself? Because we know that you're successful, but we need to talk about the obstacles because people fail to talk about the obstacles and the failures that gave them the success. And I call them learning curves. Okay. So first of all, I, you know, I had the advantage at the time, my wife was a girlfriend, so there was no discussion. Oh, okay. <laughs> there was no discussion. This is what I'm doing. And later on in life, uh, you know, it basically turned into that too. Like, this is what I'm doing. So, you know, not to get on marriage too much, but, uh, you know, one of the things that I always try to tell people is we're all our own individuals. You know, being a husband has its, you know, your job is to provide a protective money. So you don't have the latitude to just be like, if you're going to quit and move, you better make sure you pay the bills, bro. Like, like you need to make sure your stuff is together. But at the same time, I am an individual and if I'm gonna bet on me, bet, bet hard. And so that's what I did. I bet on me and I bet hard. And it's just like, hey, you know, she might wanna marry me if I'm still broke. I don't know, but you know, it kind of is what it is. Um, I, I got out of the military and there was no obstacles necessarily to get in, but of course I moved from the military and moved into an office where once again, I'm the only black guy. Like, I mean, you're always the only one, no matter what, I'm, only, I'm the only one. <laughs> um, and so again, like you are going into this financial advisor role and you don't have a lot of money. Um, as a black man in, coming from a black household, uh, we didn't talk about financial advisors at all. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. I don't, I don't know, uh, Genesis, if you knew what a financial advisor was really coming right out of college, I, I, I personally was ignorant. Partially, because I started working around 15 or 16, and then my first job was real estate, and then I landed, my second job was oil and gas in like 2009 before I graduated. So there were people who were coming into our corporation, and that's when I was learning about the 401ks, the pensions, and the financial um, advisors. So I think I had a little bit more insight versus someone else who grew up in an area that was predominantly black and that did and did not have access to that. You, you had a leg up on me, girl, because I knew nothing. All I did was look up what businesses start. I had a degree in finance and I was like, what businesses can I start with a degree in finance and lo and behold, financial advisor. Boom, done, zip. <laughs> got referred to someone, they were like, yeah, come on, you can make $20,000 a month being a financial advisor. I was like, cool, bam, woo, no problem. 
And then I didn't even realize I was getting into a sales job. Really didn't. I was mostly selling life insurance and things of that nature. But I will tell you, one of the obstacles about, you know, financial advisor is, especially being Black, is I didn't have a lot of aunts and uncles, but a lot of money who could invest with me, nor did I have a network of individuals who knew people with money uh, that could start off with me. I, I had nothing. You know, I mean, you know, the, the great thing is the company I started with kind of started me off with like a little bit of book, book of business and I had to grind. I had to dig it out of the mud uh, from the get go. So like, I don't know, most people don't know the statistic, but only 4% of certified financial planners in America are Black and Latino, 4%. And so, again, you know, you can talk about pull yourself up by the bootstraps, but this is not an industry where you come into not knowing anyone. Well, uh, let's pause really quick there, if you don't mind, Armand, because you said only 4% in the industry are Black or Latino or Latinx or whatever. So we need to ask ourselves, why is that? It's And then if we dive a little bit further, it's because they're not being shared this wealth of information and knowledge. But if someone took the time to go speak in those minority communities and show them, hey, this is something that you need to look into. This is an area that you should really invest in and stuff like that. Then we will be setting up those communities for success but i feel like a lot of times people have the information but they're not willing to give out that information or on the other end they may think that oh why would these people want to listen to what we have to say because they may not have the money to play how we're trying to play and so i feel like there's a lot of miscommunication and misalignment there would you agree there i would but also i would say again uh you know this used to be a good old boy uh uh field <laughs> uh, like oil and gas where and, i came from i mean i mean and i mean the fact of the matter is like i said you know it was passed down from daddy who was a financial advisor or whatever the case may be you you had an aunt you know i have a lot of clients who aunts and uncles and grand got money and they just throw them like 15 grand yeah like you know once a year here's your fifteen thousand dollars nobody's giving me nothing okay uh and so i think that's a huge barrier even if you were going to go into that industry you know or go into a, a predominantly black i mean literally you're digging you know you have to dig out of the mud i mean uh you know now we are starting to get black wealth and so more people are starting to invest but you know uh, people ask me how many black people do i have as clients i have about 100 clients and 10 of them are, are probably black and, you know, it's very disappointing. Um, not that I haven't tried, you know, I get referrals all the time. Uh, some of the times when uh, I do talk to uh, Black people, again, they don't know nothing about it. And they don't know nothing about financial advising. And they act the same way I acted when I first was presented. You want me to pay you what? To do what? <laughs> and I completely understand it. I completely get it. <laughs> and then like when other people come in they're like oh yeah my mom and dad had one that is completely more familiar so we just got to get more familiar with it and then as we start to gain wealth you know i think it's going to get better over time it's just going to take a little bit of time okay so let's educate because the whole premises behind gems with genesis 
Mars Camp is to not only inspire, motivate, but also to educate. So for someone who may be listening as well as viewing this segment, tell them what are the top um, core competencies to a financial advisor and how can you be the solution to their problem? Ooh, so if I'm understanding your question correctly, you're asking, you know, what five things should you look in to a financial advisor? Like, uh, uh, you know, like if you're looking for one? Or what are your five top qualities that a financial advisor has? And then how can you be the solution to their problem? So ooh, five top qualities of a financial advisor. First, a financial advisor that I would want to work with has to be organized and so like have their stuff together um they have to have uh, processes and how they're going to take care of me like if i were to sit down with a, a financial advisor and ask him how are you going to help me to obtain my goals it would be clear cut this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to do it so organization is like the biggest one you know fits your personality um, I am, if you, if you want to come, if you don't want to laugh at a meeting, don't hire me. Like I'm going to joke. If I get, if I get familiar enough with you, I might even throw out a cuss word or two. It is not a, a stuffy meeting at all, but you know, I tend to have clients that fit my personality. And so they totally get me. And so, you know, so you got to fit your personality. Uh, number three uh, as far as a, a financial advisor go, uh, like I said before, as far as organize, uh, you know, have processes, uh, but also have an end goal. Like what is, you know, how many clients are they trying to have? Where are they trying to go? You know, because you don't want a financial advisor who's trying to have a thousand clients. How could you possibly take care of me if you, if you have a thousand clients? <laughs> so like are you planning on hiring new financial advisors like you know how are you planning on taking care of me uh i don't know if i'm gonna be able to get to five and what was that last question and then how can you be a solution to their problem so as far as so this is i, I will tell you it is so important i wish more people would hire a financial advisor well i would tell this i wish more people would hire a financial advisor and i wish people would know what to what qualities to look for in a financial advisor specifically from your side looking at me and so i guess this is also answer your question too but if you are looking at me um uh, well let's first start with this I, I would say it's so important for you to hire a financial advisor because you don't know what you don't know okay and so a financial advisor is going to like take you and go okay you should be doing this okay you should be doing that okay you should be doing this and just Start moving you around and helping you with your money. I don't know, other than your health, I don't know what's more important. Like if you were, if you have a physical fitness trainer and you don't have a financial advisor, something's wrong. Like you should have one or the other. And, and, and if I was the advisor, obviously I would say hire a financial advisor first uh, because they are going to help you to save your money help you put on a budget if you have the right one now the right one how do you find the right one because there's a lot of fakers out there who are not really financial advisors so let me give you a couple of tips if you go to a meeting with a financial advisor and they whip out an application for you to fill out 
<laughs> trying to sell you something at the very first appointment, they're not, they're not it. Um, if they don't ask you for all of your financial documents prior to the meeting, they're not for you. If they seem to be too accommodating to you, a financial advisor, yeah. <laughs> so not accommodating as far as like offering you water, but like, you know, if they say, hey, give me your financial documents two days prior to an appointment and then you don't, they're like, ah, don't worry about it. We'll conduct it without it. Or, hey, you know, they have this thing where they want to meet with your spouse and then you come and they're just like, ah, you know, they're just so accommodating that, you know, their own rules, they're not, if they don't have high expectations, probably not the best for you. I, I hate to say, you know, you do want to work with a fee planner. Uh, you, are there good financial advisors out there that don't charge a fee? Absolutely. However, just know that they're going to sell you life insurance. They're going to sell you some life insurance. Just be ready to buy some life insurance. Um, it it, it kind of is what it is. They, they have to make money somehow, some way. You probably need life insurance anyways. So, uh, but they're probably not going to give you the service that you, that you need. But if you don't have the money, you just need to have a start. Perfect. Go, go that direction. And then uh, lastly, what was the last thing I was going to say as far as, and like I said uh, earlier, an organized financial advisor. So, okay. You know, because the uh, financial advisor is going to sell you life insurance, they're probably not going to have like an organized way of taking care of you. And more than likely, they're going to have a thousand uh, clients. So again, part of knowing, knowing your worth and knowing what you're doing, know that this is a starter financial advisor and that you might need to move later on, but let them help you get where you want to go. Uh, and those are like the best tips I can get if you get started. But I, I mean, you know, obviously don't hire someone who is uh, an engineer by day and a financial advisor at night. Um, that's not a good, good idea. Yeah, no, I, I, I hate those people. Okay. If you hand me your business card and you're a real estate agent, a notary, a mortgage broker, uh, uh, whatever the case may be, and you, you can't, you can't possibly be that good at all these different things. I'm so sorry. So be a real estate agent, find a real estate agent, be a financial advisor, be one. But don't, don't talk to me about, oh, you know, I work at uh, Lockheed Martin and I'm doing life insurance on the side. No, no, don't work with us. Okay, y'all. So listeners and viewers, you heard Armand Kroom. He's with Kroom Financial. He left the military. He worked for um, he worked for somebody for a little bit. Then he said, you know what? YOLO, you only live once. And now he's his own boss with Kroom Financial. He's the CEO and he's making boss moves while taking care of his family. He's paying himself back and he no longer has to check in with nobody. Can I have two weeks vacation? Can I have three weeks vacation? He's no longer trading his time for money because he figured out what principles worked for him and he is operating in those principles. He also shared about, you know, the importance of finding the right financial advisor for you and your situation. The person that you start with, you should consider that person as a partner and you're doing life together because if they are taking ownership of your finances, you need to be so involved with that person that it's like you guys are 
night and day, not oil and water. You guys are walking along life together because that person is helping you get to where you want to be and setting you up for success. They want to make sure that they're helping you grow. And Armand shared some amazing, amazing tips here. But before we close out, I want to let Armand tell him next. Tell us, now that you know your words as a Black man, a successful business owner, a successful, you know, husband, father, and all the incredible things that you do on the back end, what impact would you like to leave with the listeners and viewers? And I want you to dig deep here because you're going to drop some gems. And these gems are not just to inspire and motivate, but to also educate somebody that if you... If you did it, they can do it too. Sure. So what I would say that leads the biggest impact, and I know it's kind of contrary at first, and please, please, please hear me out when I say this. I always tell people to put themselves first. So put themselves first over their spouse, put themselves first over their children, put themselves first over everybody else. And I think you will be a better person for your spouse for your children, for your community, if you do. So we had a great example of this from Simone Biles, where she just decided, I'm putting my mental health first. She put herself first. In order to put yourself first, it puts you in a power position of knowing your worth and knowing what you need to do to accomplish what it is that you need to accomplish. It is so, so important. I feel so much power today sitting in this seat, even dealing with my wife, dealing with my children. Uh, my parents are visiting right now. And like, you know, there's a lot of things going on around me. And my dad is like, they're handling all this stuff so well. And I'm thinking to myself, and I, I just said to him, I was like, because I, I don't stress about anything because I've always just put myself first. And so even when I had to dig it out of the mud, and I had to put myself first. And that's why I said, I didn't really talk to my girlfriend slash wife at the time. There's times in our relationship, I, you know, I really didn't talk to her. I, you know, thank you for your support. But, you know, I really was just trying to make sure I, I, I was capturing my goals, capturing my dreams. And, and, and even still, one of the things that I always tell families is you put your family first by putting your money first. So you put your money first so that you can put your family first so, so that they can be better. And then that way they can go into the community and be better people. I know it's contrary. I, I get so tired of everyone trying to help everyone else out uh, you know, before they're really ready. You need to put yourself, if everyone will put themselves first, then when you get to the position where I feel like I'm at now, then I can go out and talk to people and really give great advice and go, hey, this is what I did. This is what you should do. Focus in on what you can do, what you can accomplish, where your goals are. And I promise you, you are going to be a better husband. You're going to be a better wife. You're going to be better in the community. You're going to be willing to give your time a little bit better. And you're not going to be stressed out because you're not going to have that scarcity that Genesis was talking about where you're you know, having to be a different person in different places. It is not as a big of a deal because you don't have the whole world just caving in on you so much that you are just praying to God not to choke somebody out. I think that is the biggest impact that if I left you with anything, 
that is the biggest impact in that. And the last thing is always be looking for somebody. And I know I just said, put yourself first, but always be looking for someone who can teach you something and you can learn from and, and don't make it hard for them to teach you. Like don't fight with them. Just listen and do what they say until you figure out that maybe this wasn't right or whatever the case may be, but you get a lot further that way. So. Those are two amazing gems. Put yourself first and find somebody that you can learn from because if you're not learning, then you're not growing and you can't always be the smartest person in your circle. If you are, newsflash, you need a new circle and you need one ASAP because if you're the smartest person in your circle, how do you expect to reach the mountaintop if everybody else um, around you is expecting you to carry them up the mountain. You need people in your life who are roof tearers who would see that the room is packed and you're trying to get into that speaker. And if you can't go through the door, you need to tear the roof off of that sucker and lower that person in. And I did take that story from the Bible, but some people are not religious and some people are not spiritual. So I put it in layman's terms where you could understand where I'm coming from. And I want you to really own in on the message that Armand Kroom shared today because it's powerful and it was just a tip of the iceberg. He will definitely be back according to his schedule whenever he wants to come back and chat with us to share some more gems because there's definitely more to impact because he does a lot of stuff in his work area as well as you know behind the scenes. So Armand, tell us once again who you are, the name of your business and how the listeners and viewers can connect with you on social media. Awesome. All right. So my business is Kroom Financial. Uh, you can also find me on thefinancialeffect.com or kroomfinancial.com. You can also email me at armand at kroomfinancial.com. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Those are the two best places to reach me uh, to get a hold of me. Amazing. And all of his information will definitely be in the show notes. So you have no excuse for not reaching out to him. He is a wealth of knowledge. And you just heard Armand Kroom here on Gems with Genesis Amaris Cap. Until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings.